what's everybody so mad about? He's like, that's not a baby they're taking out of there. And someone was like, what do you think? That they burned the babies? He was like, yeah, kind of. That's what they make it sound like. How do people have a baby? What's gay? Um, how did you find What is a period? What is transgender? What is a condom? What is a sperm? What is poop? What is puberty? What would it be like to be a boy? But would a boy want to know what it's like to be a girl? What is that? What is sex? Welcome to What is Sex? Each episode, we will discuss one anonymous question we've been asked by a kid while teaching sex ed. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Izzy, and we're two of the co-founders of YES, a nonprofit that provides anti-oppressive, consent-based, pleasure-focused sexuality education to people of all ages. We believe it's never too early to start having these conversations. To learn more about us, check out our website, yes2consent.org, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at yes2consent. Hey. Okay. Hello. Hi. Hi. (laughs) My mommy's here. (laughs) My mom is not here. Yeah. (gasps) Let's invite her. (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't think she listens. (laughs) Yeah, my mom's a fan. She was just telling us how much she enjoyed our first episode of the season. We got a lot of feedback on this past episode. Yeah, from my family members only. I've enjoyed lots of episodes. Yeah. What are your top top three? Um, Oh, that's a test question because they were all so long ago. (laughs) I thought you were going to say they were all so long. (laughs) No, no. But I like the one there was... um, No, I can't go into any specifics. I can't remember. (laughs) No... It's okay, you've just absorbed time. them into your psyche, mm-hmm. and you're practicing our words every day, yeah. unconsciously. No. Yeah. Well, that's really true. It, it, all <laughs> this does get absorbed into my, and it comes out when I talk to other people all the time. Oh, cool. That's very cool. Um, I realized we didn't ask you how you want to be introduced. Uh, Susan Abraham? <laughs> My main credit I mean as is, Izzy's mother. <laughs> what I mean is, um, do you want us to say anything else in particular about you, like any of your identities or any of your work or anything else? I can say whatever I want to say, but <laughs> you could also tell me if you want anything in it. Uh, you can say whatever you want to say. Okay. Okay, so we have a special guest, <laughs> and it's my mom, and her name is Susan Abraham, and she's a law professor and a poet. And does restorative justice work in law school and outside of law school. And also is a cool person and a good mom. (laughs) Oh, what an introduction. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, today we're talking about abortion. What's the question? The question is, how does an abortion actually work? Which was asked to me by a high school student recently, not anonymously, in, in person. But um, we really wanted to use our podcast to talk about abortion and talk about talking to kids about abortion because that is an important part of making culture change about abortion in this country is making sure that we're normalizing it and talking about it young. So this is one tiny, tiny little thing we can do about the scary abortion situation in the world right now. You should see Rebecca's eyes right now. 
She looks despairing. It's, yeah, it's, and it's a terrible, terrible time just knowing that there are all these people out there who are trying to pull the rights away. And it's really a testament to how important this podcast is because at least some people know who to reach out to and ask questions to and are encouraged to do it. So how does an abortion really work? What do you both think is the question behind that question from this young person? Do you want to go first? I, I don't know, but I would think from a high school student, it might be, you know, just really wanting to know, is it physically a scary process? Um, how do you start, how do you not be pregnant anymore? You know, um, and it might be a question asking like the concrete, you know, does it involve cutting or concrete question about, is it surgery or, you know, is it, can it just be medication or, you know, what are the choices and, and how scary is it? I mean, it's a thing, anytime you think about a medical procedure, it could be scary. So I think that's one thing maybe the question is really about is like, what would happen to me if I had to get one? And then another question might be another thing that might be behind it is because of all the uh, people claiming that abortions kill babies and things, it might be a question about, you know, about that. Like, is there a baby is or isn't there? And um, what actually, how, how real is that? What people are saying and, you know, do you have to see something that's scary or something, or, you know, really just those concrete questions that if I were, if I didn't know, that's what I, I think I'd be worrying about. Yeah. My mind went to all the stories that I remember and like fables told. And I don't know. I heard like coat hanger thrown around for years, even from people who knew other means of abortion and like, had like more progressive parents. Like we lived in a, in a place where I never felt like it was a shameful thing to do. And still like all these, it was, there was sort of like, um, like a lore about abortion. I don't remember learning about it in health class. I just remember like, you can get one. And I remember going to summer camps with people who were from like very different communities than mine. And they, they were telling each other that, you know, you could have someone throw you down the stairs. You could, stick something up your vagina, you could uh, drink a lot or do a lot of drugs and like induce an abortion that way. And there was just like all this sort of, and I think we were all really confused and really scared and also knew that like you could go and get it from a doctor. So it was a little bit confusing about why there were all these really harmful ways to do this to yourself. What I was thinking was really just like, what's all this fuss about abortion? Like people seem really worked up about this in ways that they're not about other healthcare procedures. <laughs> like, what's the deal? Like, what is this thing that I hear about so much? It's always in the news. It's always um, being voted on and fought about. But, like, what is it? Um, and is it bad or not is the other question that I was thinking about. It's just like, I've heard it's bad. I've heard it's not. Like, what's true? So... That was, those were my thoughts. And, and this particular student was a boy. Yeah. So I think, I don't think he was thinking about it from his own perspective of whether he would, he was a cis boy, but whether he would 
get an abortion. Um, but maybe people in his life. But yeah, I think he was really wondering, like, can you, can you give me any more detail? Because <laughs> clearly this is an issue. I was really struck by Rebecca saying in my family, you know, I had progressive parents and it wasn't an, an abortion wasn't anything shameful. Um, because I still feel like in a lot of families that are progressive, it's still somewhat, even if it's not directly said, a lot of people grow up in families where it's still quite shameful. And, um, I had progressive parents, somewhat progressive. Um, but it was, the message was clear that for girls, it was a black mark when I, but that was a long time ago, but I still feel like there's a lot of lingering shame around it, but I guess it's great that in your family, it wasn't mine too. I also feel like even though abortion didn't seem shameful to me ever, I guess it would have seemed shameful to me to be pregnant. pregnant. And so needing an abortion might have still felt shameful, not because of the abortion, but because oh yeah, of the pregnancy. Oh, that's absolutely what I mean. Yeah. Oh, needing yeah. an abortion means that you had sex. Right. That part's still shameful. Oh. And that, so it's very caught up in, so you're ashamed that you're pregnant. So having to act, say so and ask, you know, for the information, it involves a lot of shame. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, talked about as, like, the number one failure of a teenage girl is to get pregnant in high school. Like, then you did everything wrong. Even now. Yeah. <laughs> to get right. pregnant now. Yeah. Uh, I'm dying for my friends to start getting pregnant. So if you were pregnant, I mean, I know you wouldn't be happy. So I guess I wouldn't be happy either. But I want some babies around. Yeah. So my first memories of abortion are definitely connected to, like, girls in high school maybe in old movies and then people kind of whispering about girls that were a little older than me, you know, who got pregnant and had to go secretly, you know, get rid of the baby somehow. And so it was totally associated with like being trashy or being a slut. Um, that was what abortion, that's how it first kind of arose. But then you know, then it became very political because when I was in high school, you know, Roe versus Wade was 1973. I graduated from high school in 1973. Um, so all leading up to that, it was very much a part of like feminist d discourse and politics. Um, so I knew about it that way. And that was different. So before you were in high school, was abortion not, didn't like, you didn't encounter it as like a very politicized issue? And. No, I mean, you know, we didn't have a decent sex ed at all in our school. And so all we had was like really horrifying movies. They showed us about um, venereal diseases and how they can distort and damage and kill you um, and make you blind and stuff like that. Um, and then pregnancy, like DES babies, you know, I have these very clear memories of you know, all kinds of like, you know, damaged babies because of drugs that were given to them right? or LSD. Uh, you know, I, I mean, that's, that was my sex ed. <laughs> there was nothing about anything useful. It was like scaring you about, you know, having babies, having sex, whatever. So it wasn't when I was in like seventh and eighth grade, um, 
there was a little bit of feminist political stuff going on and it wasn't necessarily, I can't, I can't remember abortion being in the center of it, but probably was peripherally part of the conversations. But, um, in the general culture, you know, there was still like, I watched a lot of old movies on TV and these 1950s movies of girls, you know, or young women getting pregnant and how, you know, shameful it was and being hidden away. And then somehow, you know, maybe coming back if they were lucky, not pregnant, but not really talking about what it was. It was just very, very connected to shame. Well, you were born in an era where the main way teen pregnancy was dealt with, especially for like middle-class white and upper-class white girls, um, was taking them away until they gave birth and then taking their babies from them without their consent and then sending them back and like, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of babies were forcibly taken from their teen parents. So, yeah, I don't know. Did you like know anybody who did that or like, was that still happening? I mean, that was happening in the fifties and sixties, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it wasn't always forcibly taken in my culture. It was, parental pressure and people being freaked out about having babies and not knowing they, you know, had a choice and maybe sometimes not being sure, but sometimes saying, yeah, I don't want this baby, but you know, and the only route for, for people, I guess, seemed to be to go to like a home for unwed mothers. And, um, so no one I was close to, you know, there were rumors about people in my school that would disappear for a while and then come back. So people would say, oh, yeah, they were pregnant or they had a baby. And then there were a couple of people that had babies, you know, who were out of school. People didn't really see them pregnant or maybe, you know, a little bit but weren't sure. And then they'd come back and there was a baby, you know, that but not that we really saw evidence of. Sometimes their parents would be taking care of the baby or people would say, you know, there were rumors. But it was definitely not really talked about and it would have been, you know, a shameful, you know, it would come with a, a sting of shame because that was someone who was having sex, uh, a girl. There wasn't any comment about the boy. Um, usually nobody even knew who it was or asked. It wasn't even like a part of the conversation for the most part. Um, but it was like, girls, so, you know, if that happened. So it was kind of like this, oh, you know, you shouldn't be that kind of girl that, would end up having to get an abortion. It was, it was, it's not that the abortion itself, you know, it wasn't like a religious thing, like it's killing a baby. It was really all about the black mark on a girl who is having sex and gets pregnant. So that means also you're dumb or something. That's really interesting because I feel like now the conversations that I'm having or like I'm privy to are largely at least posed as being religious or skewed as being like religious and yeah. Saving a life for Christ. Or just moral in general. Like I remember, um, in high school talking about abortion with friends and being like, yeah, if I got pregnant in high school, I would definitely have an abortion. Like before any of us were even having sex, just like thinking about like, I don't want to be pregnant. Like, I definitely have an abortion. I remember some of my friends being like, well, I'm pro-choice, but I could never do that. 
Like that, I could never, I would not be comfortable. And it was not religious. It was just like, I, and, and that's totally valid for people to feel uncomfortable ending a pregnancy. Um, but I remember like being confused about why they were uncomfortable with it. People were just like, that would be too upsetting for me. I couldn't do it. So I don't think it, yeah. In my experience, it has not, like the people I know has not been primarily a Christian thing. If they've felt uncomfortable. No, I guess I mean the people spearheading. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, like right wing politicians definitely were like, who can help us with this one? The Christians. We'll get them on board. And they did a really good job. Yeah. So we've started talking about this, about our first memories of having this question or learning the answer. So you were saying that your first memories of this were like in middle school, high school? A middle school, definitely hearing about it, seeing some movies, you know, that kind of thing. And then in high school, it was more of a open conversation, but I think somewhat like on the political side, less on the personal side. I mean, people were aware of it, you know, I don't remember specifically how it first arose. It's cool that Roe v. Wade happened when you were in high school. It was the year I graduated, yeah. Yeah, were people excited? I mean, I I remember generally some, you know, like a Gloria Steinem type people and, you know, Betty Friedan and, and feeling like there was something, you know, really liberating and exciting going on, just talking about sexuality, talking about women's roles, um, and talking about abortion. But I don't remember the specific moment of, like, Roe versus Wade. Um, I believe yeah. it, there was, I mean, everybody was protesting the whole time I was in high school. I mean, I went to a lot of marches, but I think I went to an abortion rights march. I know I went to a bunch of civil rights and anti-Vietnam war, and I think sometimes they combined a lot of things. <laughs> um, I think there was one women's march. Where did you go to high school? Uh, near Asbury Park, New Jersey, Ocean Township. Yeah, the only Supreme Court case in my lifetime that I, like, really remember, like, exactly where I was when I heard the the news was the marriage um, allowing, you know, quote-unquote same-sex marriage. Um, yeah, that felt like a, a big moment. I was on a playground in Montclair. I was babysitting two children, so I was really excited to tell them. Oh, that's yeah. really sweet. They were three and five, and I was like, I don't know if you know this, <laughs> but until this very moment, <laughs> this is what was going on. And now you can marry whoever you want if you ever want to get married, and then you don't have to. <laughs> They're like, okay, is he? <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> cool. We're going to leave and go play now. Yeah. <laughs> like, that seems like how it probably always was, right? <laughs> um. Yeah. Rebecca, what's your first memory of, well, Degrassi, perhaps? First memory of learning about abortion? I mean, I'd like to say Degrassi. I mean, I went to, I went to summer camp from the time I was, I don't know, I want to say like seven. Like my mom. Oh, nice. I wanted to go to summer camp that young. Really? I didn't, though. I don't know if I did. I, <laughs> I You know, my memory's so bad. I could have been older. Maybe I was 10. <laughs> But I went to this camp, Camp McAllister, which was like a, it was like everyone I knew was going to Frost Valley, which was sort of this like nice, fancier 
sort of camp and I couldn't afford that. So I went to Camp McAllister and I learned from all of my friends, like how confused they were about like periods and I I say learned because I know now, but then I was just learning all this wrong stuff. Mm. We were like all talking about what we knew about periods and tampons and pregnancy. And like, I think there was like, there was like a lot of talk, even that young about like, well, if like, if you get boy stuff on your mouth, like you can get pregnant or blah, blah, blah. Um, Or like you can stick a tampon in your butt and like that'll like stop the blood we think. There's like a lot of misinformation. You know, we were just chatting. (laughs) (laughs) We were all just shooting, shooting things out there and Mm -hmm. seeing what stuck. Um, And I that was like my early memory of someone being like, "Well, if you if you ever get pregnant, you can just like, I don't know, punch yourself in the stomach real hard and like take care of it or something like that." I remember being like, "That sounds terrible." (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that was kind of it. And then everyone started sharing all these like my cousin got pregnant and then she had to, she had to leave. And like my, her, her mom was so angry and like, we weren't allowed to talk to her. And there was all this, like, yeah, I remember hearing about all this stigma within these families and it's really interesting. I also was like, it was sort of the first time that it registered to me that, that young people could even get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't really on my radar. I sort of thought that that's a thing for parents mm-hmm. to do. And parents are older. Like all the parents I knew, especially my parents had me when they were 40 so I was just like that's normal that's when people have babies and everyone I knew at this camp was talking about their sisters and their cousins who were teenagers getting pregnant and I was like wow that's impossible I was basically like that's impossible I don't know you all must be lying so yeah that was sort of my earliest memory of abortion and pregnancy talk yeah that reminds me of a conversation I just had with a kid that I babysit um, because I was carrying my abortion liberation fund tote bag. And I was like, do you know what abortion is? And she was like, no. So we were talking about it. And then she was like, well, she was like, but you can't get pregnant by accident. Right. She was like, why would anyone want to get rid of their baby? And then she's like, but like you, you can't get pregnant by accident. Right. Like you would only have a baby if you wanted one. I was like, oh no, <laughs> you, you can definitely do it by accident. And she was like, why would anyone not want a baby? And I was like, well, do you want a baby? And she was like, well, kids can't get pregnant, can they? And I was like, well, you can't, but some kids can't. I don't know. It was just, it, yeah, it was interesting to, oh, yeah. I was, I, you know, it's unusual for me not to be able to recall an early memory of learning. Feels pretty something. good, doesn't it? <laughs> but I think I cannot remember a time before I knew what abortion was. Like, I don't remember wondering I don't remember being curious. I don't remember it being explained. Like, I think my mom <laughs> talked to me about abortion pretty young. Um, because and we came, we came across a, a right to life demonstration in Washington, D.C. when you were... I was 10. I, oh, you were 10? And I definitely already knew what abortion was. I, yeah, so that was, my, that was my first memory. I thought you were younger because I thought Sophia was in preschool. No? Mm-mm. No, it was my 10th birthday, actually. Sometimes the March for Life happens on my birthday because I think it's the national day of life or whatever. (laughs) And we were in Washington, D.C. on my 10th birthday, and um, we just were walking and came across that march. And 
it was the first time I saw anti-abortion images, like bloody babies mangled, you know. Um, and it made a big impact. And my first reaction was to cover my sister's eyes, <laughs> which she got really mad about because we were crossing the street and I wasn't explaining why. I just had my, I clamped my hand over her face and she was like, it's an owl, stop it, stop. I was just like holding on for dear life. I was like, you are not going to see these pictures. And she didn't. So I'm <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> and then we both explained to her what abortion was. Oh, I don't remember. She said, what is it? And we said, it's an anti-abortion march. And she wanted to know what that was. Oh. So we explained about people wanting to not have babies and wanting to end a pregnancy and that some people were really angry and trying to make this point about that it was killing a baby and that we didn't see it that way. Wow, I don't remember that. That's really funny to imagine 10-year-old me and like 47-year-old you <laughs> co-explaining that to 7-year-old Sophia. <laughs> Well, we hadn't planned on it, but we were just walking around D.C. and we came across these very violent images very of lots violent. of people and it was very loud. It was scary. And there was no way to not talk about it or not explain it. Um, I know. Because it could have been, you know, it was very graphic and very disturbing. She didn't see it, though. I was, yeah, I, I managed that. <laughs> but I just like that I wanted to help you explain it to her. That seems very me. Very early uh, in my educator career. It really speaks to your respect and your, uh, like, your admiration of your daughter to be, like, even now <laughs> reflecting on, like, we co-explained this <laughs> when you were a child. It's really nice. It was amazing. And Izzy has been teaching me a lot for many years. And I think co-teaching at that time <laughs> was a learning experience for me. <laughs> because 10-year-old Izzy was very clear about um you know, right and wrong and, um, and why, you know, explaining to Sophia why this was important to know about. Yeah. And I always felt a lot of responsibility for my little sister and I always wanted to teach her stuff. So I remember teaching her the alphabet as like one of my earliest and most joyful memories, like being Aww. three, sitting in the music room and teaching her the alphabet. She like probably couldn't even talk yet. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's one of my earliest memories, but as you're pointing out, and as I was going to say, like, I definitely already at that age felt like I had a good grasp on, like, pro-life versus pro-choice. Like, I didn't feel confused about what was going on, um, which makes me think, like, do you remember t explaining abortion to me? Like, how did I learn it? I guess, um, like, I listened a lot to what adults said. I liked being part of adult conversations as a child, especially adult political conversations. So maybe I just like heard you guys talking about it. I don't yeah. Know. I mean, I think probably it came up sometimes and it was something that, you know, and it was like in the news and things would, yeah, people would be talking about it. And I'm sure you asked some questions about it. And so we explained, you know, why it was important in the context of also a woman's being able to take care of herself, ourselves, um, and make health choices and decisions. And I think you got that really young. 
But yeah, I mean, I think because I knew what abortion was, like, long before I knew what sex was, like, I never had that association you were talking about, about, like, abortion is related to having sex. I was just like, abortion is related to choosing whether you want to be a parent or not, which is, like, I guess that's part of why I was like, what is everybody's deal? Like, this is a basic choice. It's not your body. I never could, like, figure out where the shame part was coming. I got the, like, killing babies part, but I was like, that's dumb. That's not what's happening. And so... It just always seemed very normal and natural. But I also always knew there's these, like, mythical pro-life people who are my enemies. <laughs> like, from a very young age, I was just, like, those wacky pro-life people. And I remember you guys explaining, like, how annoying it was that they claimed that title. Like, they got that pro-life to imply that we're anti-life. I'm like, that sucks. And I was just like, ugh, these pro life Republicans are very, very good at slogans yeah. and marketing and stuff like that. Democrats really need to work on that. Yeah, also we should work on just, like, not calling them things that they want to be called just because they want to be called that. Like, we, I, why would we ever call them pro-life? Like, they can call themselves that, but I'm not going to call them that. I find, I'm finally, for the first time, I feel like, in the wake of this most recent Roe v. Wade news, seeing, like, the majority of people or many more people on my, like, social media feed saying pro-birth, pro-birthers, um, instead of pro-lifers, which is nice i also see you know anti-choicers or whatever anti-abortion they just call them anti-abortion people that's what they are that's but, yeah it's anti-abortion I, right. I just think i just saw a cartoon this morning that said life starts at ejaculation <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so um yeah those are my earliest memories of just always knowing about it and always feeling like my little bless you like, my little feminist self was just like, this is an easy one, everybody. Get it together. I'm curious, um, like, as a parent of two women, young girls, despite your politics and your, like, actual values, did you do you think that you held stigma around this? Like, if either of your daughters had become pregnant or had sex at an age that... Oh, my God. You would have been so freaked out if we were pregnant as young people. Yeah, I'm curious. Like, is, is it... <laughs> I can't even imagine is how it my possible, parents would react to that. Is it possible for you to consider that? And, I mean, I'm sure you had as a, as a mom considered it. But, like, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. And um, <laughs> as first... You know, I don't think there was any stigma about the abortion part of it. You know, I mean, I absolutely felt like, you know, there was nothing like abortion is good. You know, if you choose it and you want it, you, you know, there's, I didn't feel any stigma about that as a parent. Yeah, I'm sure it was really hard. It was a hard thing to just feel, you know, to get, be ready for my children to become sexual beings and, and to get the idea of them being pregnant and all of the consequences that that, you know, what on your body, the responsibilities that, you know, making a choice, having to make that choice as a young person. For me, you know, the first time I was pregnant when I didn't want to be abortion or not, just even for a few days, knowing I was pregnant was really stressful. I mean... I knew I didn't want to have a baby and I had this physical thing, biological thing going on that I did not want. So, you know, there would be a lot of reasons why I would feel very concerned or worried about my kids having to go through that when they were young. Um, 
I think, you know, knowing my kids were having sex, it depends on what age, um, you know, and what kind of, you know, and, you know, I, I'm sure I had my own stigmas and issues in adjusting to that happening. But, um, by the time, you know, my kids were in high school or older, I feel like I was okay. You know, it, I, it wasn't anyway, uh, that's a much longer conversation, I guess. And I would have to reflect on that more, but, um, but the idea of going through having to decide pregnancy, having to make a decision, um, yes, uh, I would have, that would have been hard for my kid, knowing my kids would have to go through that. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of other memories. <laughs> memories. I always have a long list of memories. Well, I was thinking about um, remembering a time when my mom stopped the car on the way to driving me to school um, because you saw protesters at the Planned Parenthood in town and you thought they were too close to the clinic because there was still the buffer zone law. And you stopped the car to get out and tell them to cross the street because it was illegal for them to be there. You don't remember that? Nope. <laughs> I really remember Just that. Just a typical day in Montclair, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. It kind of was. Like, it didn't, like, I kind of registered that it was cool, but I also, like, was late for school and tired, you know? So I was kind of like, oh, mom. mom. <laughs> Can we go? <laughs> but I was also like, glad you're doing that i don't know it's one of those like yeah i guess this is a weird morning on the way to high school zero period gym i don't know um (laughs) but yeah i remember you talking a lot about buffer zones and how like getting really mad when protesters were too close to the clinic and you know what i don't think i had known or noticed that we had a planned parenthood in town until that day which is weird like i i remember knowing a lot about planned parenthood and hearing about planned parenthood but I like never noticed that there was one in Montclair. And I still, after that, couldn't have told you where it was because again, I was very tired in <laughs> school. I was like, Oh, I guess we have one of those. I also didn't know throughout high school. Isn't that it was weird? very it was close, so to, close our to our high school. school. I would have thought people would have talked about it a lot. I would have thought they would have talked about it in health class. You would have thought. Yeah. They talked about a lot of things in health class. Like that could have definitely been one of them. Yeah. Um, there yeah. were scary protests often outside i never even noticed nope but i remember you noticed i remember you being very angry about them and sometimes making them go farther away so that's cool and then i remember also in high school learning that my dad had argued a abortion case in the new jersey supreme court um working to get medicaid to cover abortion in new jersey because in the U.S. Constitution, there's no right to health. But in the New Jersey Constitution, there's some right to health that allowed them to, at least in New Jersey, require Medicaid to cover abortions. That's so cool. And, now they and, the, and the Congress federally um, took away Medicaid, cover, Medicaid coverage for abortion on the yeah. federal level. Through and that's why amendment. people were pushing state by state for the state legislatures to go further and in New Jersey, they got the New Jersey Supreme Court in right to choose versus burn. That's mm-hmm. the case. And it's a really important case. Yeah. That's so, so cool. That's cool, right? I remember learning that being like, it's not, why'd you never tell me that? It's not covered in Pennsylvania, right? By Medicaid. Medicaid. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. So that was cool. So I basically, I think I had a lot of abortion stuff kind of seeping in through my cool abortion parents. 
so cool. Yeah. yeah. And that was basically my memories of up through high school. And just like, again, like saying with friends, like, I would definitely get an abortion if I got pregnant. Like, I remember being worried about, like, how I could get pregnant without having sex. Like, I was always really worried about that. Anytime my period was late, I was just like, maybe I'm pregnant. Um, And so I was just like, whatever. If it happens, like, I'll just get an abortion. It's okay. I, like, was really comforted by that, that I, like, had that option. And, but, yeah, remembering friends being like, oh, I could never. Like, friends who were, like, really, I really didn't expect it. Just Mm -hmm. like, I could never. Um, and then in college, finally learned about the reproductive justice framework, which was very life-changing. I learned it from Loretta Ross, who's one of the people who coined the term reproductive justice, who happened to be speaking at my college. And I didn't know who she was or what she was talking about. I just walked in. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> She's amazing. Um, and that, yeah, that really, like, shifted things for me from thinking about pro-choice to pro-access. Um and what that meant and all of the other things that came along with reproductive justice and bodily autonomy that weren't just about ending pregnancies, but also the right to parent um, and have safe pregnancies and all sorts of other things and the right to you know, have accessible and cheap abortion. Um, yeah. And I also had a friend who is a little bit older than me who did abortion handholding, like volunteering for Planned Parenthood. She, that's what they called it, being a handholder. And I remember thinking that was the coolest thing, that she got to go in with people for their abortions and hold their hands. And I always wanted to do it, too. Um, yeah, so I think everything around me was, like, very... made abortion seem very normal. I always was really drawn to abortion care. And, like, when I finally learned about abortion doulas um, in college, I was like, oh, I should do that. I thought maybe that would be, like, my job. Um yeah, I think abortion is really cool. I would love to give abortions in whatever way I can without going to medical school. <laughs> and um, then finally, finally, in the last memory that I'll share is when I was finally being trained as a sexuality educator by the Masakane Center in Newark, I finally learned in detail how abortion procedures work, <laughs> which was really, really helpful. We learned the, diff- the difference how old between were you? Uh, 20, 22. I finally learned the difference between, like, medication abortion and surgical abortion and vacuum aspiration versus, like, a DNC, um, dilation and curatage, and all of those things. We, like, looked at pictures of all the different tools that you use and, like, how you use them, and it was very, very enlightening. And I really like having that information, and I really like sharing that information, because otherwise it's so mystifying to just be, like, abortion. Because it's like, no, we're just talking about either scraping the contents of the uterus out or using a vacuum to suck the contents of the uterus out or inducing a miscarriage through uh, uterine cramping and pushing the contents of the uterus out. Like, that's what it is. So, yeah, that was my journey. That really resonates for me. Get how important it is to have that information when you're not pregnant, when you're not emotionally, you know, affected by it, when you're not scared and all that, because I didn't have that. Um, and had abortions without knowing those things. And um, it was pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I don't like to get a cavity filled without knowing what they're about to do to my tooth. I can't even imagine. And most doctors are not good at telling you what they're about to do to your body. And your first abortion wasn't even with a doctor, was it? 
It was with a doctor, yes. But it was with a doctor that spoke a language I didn't speak. Right. And so there was very little communication. I did communicate. Well, we can wait on that. But, yeah, it was with a doctor, but I didn't. we couldn't communicate at all. We don't have to wait on that. You can tell that story now if you want. My first abortion was when I was in uh, Cuernavaca, Mexico, when I was 25 years old. And I had only been there for about a week, but I was there to study Spanish and I had intended to be there for a few months. And I had taken a semester off from law school and planned this whole thing for a long time. And in my first week, I start, I was feeling very not nauseated and not good. And I, my period was late. I didn't know anyone yet. I was living in a house, in a, with a Mexican family, my Spanish was terrible. I could speak only really basic Spanish. I was going to classes. I had no friends there. I went by myself. I met to, I went to Mexico for three months and I was feeling like sick and not okay. And every time I ate, I felt like I might throw up. And at some point it hit me that I better get a pregnancy test. There were, there weren't home pregnancy tests yet. And so I had to, or at least not that were available in Mexico or that I recall being available at all. And this was in, um, 1980. And so I had to find out just where I could even go to get a pregnancy test, you know? And so I was asking around people I didn't know in broken Spanish and someone told me there was a women's health clinic in Cuernavaca and they were only open like two days a week because doctors came from Mexico City two days a week to, you know, to treat women. And so I waited, I made an appointment. I like barely even could figure out the whole thing because I didn't know how anything worked and I didn't speak the language. But I went in there and there was a really lovely young woman doctor and I told her that I wanted a pregnancy test and she was super nice and uh, she did the test, and it came back positive. And I was, it was the first time I was ever pregnant that I was aware of. I mean, unless I had a miscarriage, I didn't know about. And um, I was by myself, and I was terrified. I so scary. And I didn't have anyone to talk to there, and I didn't want to go home. I was like, it would have felt like such a failure I had planned this whole trip. It was such a big deal. And I can't tell you how many people said a woman alone can't travel in Mexico and you can't do this. And, you know, for three months it's dangerous. And I just was so determined that I really wanted to study Spanish. I wanted to travel around Mexico. I knew that I wouldn't probably have the opportunity to take that kind of time any other time. I'd saved up a lot of money to be able to do it. I was there and I was one weekend or maybe less. And so I started to cry and I was really, I didn't know what to do. I knew that abortions were illegal in Mexico and I knew I had to have an abortion and I didn't want to go home and I was alone. So this doctor was super, super nice and caring. And she was talking to me about what my plans were and what I wanted. She understood how I felt. And she said, well, let me tell you. Yes, she spoke English. And she said, let me tell you what your options are. You know, let's talk them through. Let me tell you what your options are in Mexico. And you can think about what your options are outside of Mexico. You know, you could go home. Um, and I said, I can't, if I go home, I won't be able to afford to come back. And that's the end of my trip. And she said, well, you could actually get an abortion here, even though they're illegal. If you can afford it, private gynecologists do it in the office, but it's 
you know, and, and it's absolutely common and it's done in a safe way, but you can't be open or public about it. There are certain ways that you have to communicate and it costs $300, which was about the same it cost in the United States at the time. And insurance didn't cover it as far as I know in the United States anyway. And so I thought, well, that would be almost all of the money I brought with me for my whole trip, but maybe I can work this out. And she, I asked her how I could do it. And she said, I can give you the name of a doctor in Mexico City and you, here's and the phone number. And you can call and make an appointment, but you have to not tell them what it's about. You have to say you need to talk to the doctor. Um, and um, then they'll do it in the office. It might be the first appointment or they might make you come back. And Mexico City was like an hour away on the bus. And I, you know, and the idea of like, I was 25 years old going into a city I didn't know at all, not speaking the language and going to see a doctor I didn't know and knowing it was illegal and not being sure what would happen was terrifying. But I was so determined not to go home that, I mean, I was really scared and upset, but I, so I, I called my really good friend, Lori, who's still my really good friend. <laughs> And she just, you know, t we talked it through and she loaned, she just sent me, she wired me the money mm. and we, you know, we just decided that's what I was going to do. And then there was this guy from Seattle or something who was in my Spanish class who I met like three days before and we had had lunch together for like three times and we were sort of starting to become like very casual friends we were acquaintances and I just I knew I had to have somebody who was going to come with me and I knew I had to tell someone I didn't know anyone else I could talk to I certainly didn't feel like I could tell the Mexican family I was living with I didn't know them I didn't know what their values were or anything so uh the next day I talked to this guy Matt who was so nice and and he said, I'll come with you when you call, you know, because I was scared to even make the appointment because I didn't know if I'd say the wrong thing. And I didn't think I'd understand what they were saying. And I just remember I called on, you had to wait in line at a payphone in the middle of town just to be able to use a phone. I didn't have, there were no cell phones yet. And um, he came with me and I made the appointment, but it was like on a Wednesday that I called and the appointment was for the following Monday morning. And so I had like four or five days that I was, had to wait. And I was just so determined, like, I have to do this immediately that that seemed like forever. And so, you know, he, he just kept me busy with social, you know, travel stuff all weekend. And we like, I remember we went into, looked at silver jewelry and some beautiful little village just to be busy. Cause I was the whole time like talking to, this pregnancy and saying, I don't want you in my body. I need to get this out. I was just terrified. And it's not at all for a second that I thought I wasn't going to have an abortion, but the idea that a baby could grow in me was really, really upsetting. And I just wanted to stop it right then. I couldn't, the idea that I was conscious of it every second. So anyway, we got up really early in the morning on Monday, that Monday and like, you know, five or 6 AM got a bus into Mexico city, had to figure out how to get from the bus station to this doctor's office. And we went in and they 
It was very cold and very formal. I felt very out of place. Nobody spoke English. The receptionist kept saying, why are you here? And I said, I have to talk to the doctor. And then at first they said, when I went to see the doctor, I told her what was going on. And she said, well, you'll have to come back next week. And I just said, I can't. I have to do this today. I just can't come back next week. And she said something in Spanish that not, I was pretty sure, and now I know I'm right, was, well, the way we're going to do it hurts a lot because we don't use anesthesia. And I said, I don't care. You know, I have to do it right now. And she said, okay. And they made me sign things that I couldn't understand and I didn't read. They gave me, I mean, I went into a room, Matt was in the waiting room, and um, I had no idea what anyone was saying. And it hurt a lot, like more than anything I ever felt before. And I think it was suction. Um because that's what it, I remember the feeling, but I don't really know what they did. I, I just didn't know that. No, I didn't understand what anyone was saying. And um, I remember I was crying and because uh, it hurt and I didn't know really if it was really okay. But I trusted that nice doctor. And then it was over. And I remember them saying, you're going to be bleeding a lot. Or do you have to take a bus or go anywhere? And I said, Yeah. And they said, well, I don't think you should. And I was like, I, you know, I have nowhere else to go. And she said, you're going to be bleeding a lot um, for a few hours. And I just, I think they gave me a pad and no painkillers. And um, I went out to the waiting room and magically that doctor and her two friends, these three young doctors were there waiting for me and they had, found out when my appointment was. I must have told her that I made an appointment. I don't remember that, but I must have. And she found out when it was, and they came in a little Volkswagen Beetle and picked us up, me and Matt, and brought us back to their apartment. And they made a little bed in the back of the car for me to lie down. And they played Bob Dylan in the car. <laughs> and they brought us to one of their apartments and they gave us soup that they made. And they had me lie down and they asked me what I needed. I think they gave me like, you know, Tylenol or something. And we stayed there and they took care of us and they were just like playing good music and like asking me what I needed and just being super, super kind. They were all three like young doctors, clearly like supported abortion rights and knew I was in a really tough situation. And they just took care of us like, I don't know, like all day until I felt well enough to take the bus home. I mean, they invited us to sleep over. But I remember, like, I didn't want to. I just wanted to go home. But it was amazing that they did that. And it was the most kind. I've never had a stranger, you know, do something so amazing like that. Um, I mean, everybody. That guy, Matt, who I don't know where he is or, or even remember if I got his name right. But, you know, he came with me and, like, you know, everybody thought he was the father. <laughs> Everybody was saying things to him like, how do you feel? And he was like, <laughs> I was like, no, it has nothing to do with this. He's just my friend. But um, they they were just amazing. And I can't remember if I ever saw her again. I just, she was the most wonderful person, that doctor, that young doctor. The, the doctor who performed the abortion was absolutely cold. I mean, I paid them in cash. Nobody said a kind word to me there. Um, they were basically, it was like silent and 
but they said, we do this all the time. Or somebody, I think the nice doctor had said, they do it all the time. Don't worry. They know what they're doing. It'll be fine. And it was just on her word that I did that. But it was terrifying because I had no idea what was going to happen. It hurt so much. I was scared that I was making a really stupid choice and I might die. I didn't know. And, um, and I felt really alone. And, um, and it, you know, it, I feel really lucky that I had the money and it really saved me. And then the rest of my trip was amazing and really life-changing. Um, so I'm really glad that I didn't go home. But I know if my kid did that, um, <laughs> I can't as even a parent, imagine how you would react if I was doing anything like that. I mean, I would tell my kid, come home, I'll pay for it. I'll pay for you to go back. You know, I, you, you know, it's not, doesn't, you don't know if it's safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course I would feel that as a parent. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was safe. And you didn't, it didn't occur to you to talk to your parents about it or ask them for money. I would never have done that. Yeah. It probably occurred to me only in the briefest way because I never would have done that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel comfortable. Um, I, I mean, my friends were the obvious people for me to go to. Well, I'm glad Lori sent you the money and I'm glad yeah. that doctor was so nice to you. And I'm glad Matt came with you. It's all so scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I had really kind people supporting me all around me and, um, and I, fe I felt this incredible relief when it was over. I mean, incredible relief. Like that feeling of being pregnant when I didn't want to be pregnant is one of the worst feelings I've ever had. I just felt like my body was invaded mm -hmm. and I felt freaked out. I did not want it there. I did could not feel comfortable and I just didn't feel like myself. Mm -hmm. And I was no, I was absolutely clear that I was not in any kind of position or time to have a child. And I knew that I probably would want to have a child at some point. But there was no way that I, it would have just, I w my life would have been completely controlled by that child. If I did that, it was not at all where I was at that point and what I was ready for. And I just was very, very clear about that. There was no, for me, it wasn't a choice. I mean, it was absolute, like I had to have an abortion um, and I had to have it now. Um, so that was my choice, but it was, a. Uh, it was very scary. And also I feel very privileged that I could have, that I got to do it. It's kind of, you know, when I think about what, I mean, I know what many Mexican women had to do, which was, you know, all of the terrible choices you were talking about, Rebecca, falling down the stairs and eating poison and, trying, you know, getting punched in the stomach. I mean, terrible, terrible things. And it's a sick system, and it wasn't really different from the system we have in the United States, where if you can afford one, you can get one. How is that different from your other experience with abortion? My other experience with abortion happened later, a few years later, in the United States. And I was pregnant also at a time when I did not want to have a child. I was not, it wasn't a choice. I mean, I wanted to have an abortion and I went to an abortion clinic and it was 
very sterile and very bureaucratic, um, but it was fine. I mean, there were like a lot of women sitting in a room. They made us all put our clothes in a locker. We were all wearing the gown they gave us. Everybody looked upset or uncomfortable or, you know, kind of cold and sitting in one of those robes in a room all together. No one was talking to each other. It wasn't, you know, it was like somebody talked to each person one-on-one for like three minutes or five minutes, probably to make sure you were making your decision independently or how old you were or whatever. And then, you know, I went in and had the abortion and it was fine. It was clean. You know, it was, it felt a little icky for some reason. It didn't feel, uh, it felt like it was kind of a factory and we were all being treated. But I think that was sort of like the class. I don't know that it was, had anything to do with the fact that it was abortion. I mean, I guess because it's not, it wasn't in a hospital. It was like in a women's clinic that just did abortions. And so it felt kind of different from any other medical procedure I had. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of like, it didn't feel, it, I felt, it felt a little stigmatizing, but I'm not sure exactly why. You know, we were all there just to do that as if it wasn't treated the same as other medical procedures. Um, and it was mostly young women. Um, but everybody, w- it was okay. You know, nothing, you know, and I, I think insurance covered it. I, I don't remember exactly, but I think. I think I'm pretty sure insurance covered it at the time. Did you feel like more prepared for the actual procedure because you had been through it? Like, did you feel like you knew what was going to happen that time? And did anyone explain it? Yeah. I mean, I I felt more prepared and also it didn't hurt. I mean, I I got some kind of anesthesia, so it wasn't bad. I mean, I felt uncomfortable for a day or two afterwards, like crampy and was bleeding, but, um, but there wasn't, it wasn't terrifying in any way. It was, you know, it was predictable. It wasn't a happy experience, but it was a okay experience. Mm-hmm. And okay. I felt like I felt like I was safe. That's good. But they still didn't explain the procedure to you. I think they probably did, and you know, I think they did explain the procedure. I don't remember it that well. I think it was just nobody felt. You know, it was nothing like that wonderful young Mexican doctor. Nobody felt like a human being, but everybody was decent. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm sure they told me what they were going to do. And I remember being in a recovery room with a lot of other people. You know, it just had that feeling when you're coming out of anesthesia and you're a little confused and everything's weird and you're with all these strangers. Mm -hmm. Um, It was unpleasant in that way, but not because anybody did anything wrong. I had never known about that part of it until we saw Obvious Child for the first time. Have you seen Obvious Child? We've talked about this. Yes, but I don't remember it. Um, It's a Jenny Slate movie. It's a rom-com, and she gets an abortion. And it was, it's one of my favorite movies, one of my sister's favorite movies. And we saw it at a Planned Parenthood screening, remember? It was like a benefit for Planned Parenthood. Um, And they show somewhat her abortion procedure, which was definitely the first media representation of anything like that I'd ever seen. They don't show what's happening to her body, but they show her going into the room. They show her being put under anesthesia and they show her face while they start to dilate her cervix. And then they show her in the recovery room coming out of anesthesia, sitting with all those other people who have just had abortions. And yeah, that was just powerful to see that portrayed because 
and I've never seen it before. There is another movie that I saw within the last five years, I think, called Sometimes Always Never or something like that or Sometimes Always Never. I think that's what it's called, but it's about two high school girls from Pennsylvania. One of them's pregnant and they take the bus into New York City without telling their parents for one of them to get an abortion. And I highly recommend it because it shows they go to the clinic and the clinic says, yes, we'll do it, but we have to do it tomorrow. They have no place to sleep. They're trying to stay up all night in Port Authority. They meet guys. It's harrowing. And they show a lot of what happens in the clinic. Um, and it's it's really worth seeing. I mean, it's it feels like a documentary, even though it's not to actors. Um, but it's very realistic. Um, and it's just, there's so many parts of the experience that weren't cared for in, in these young women. You know, this, where are they? They did offer them a place. They said, do you need a place to stay? We have volunteers. Mm-hmm. And the girls was, no, we don't. We're fine. You know, they, they were just kind of freaked out and scared mm-hmm. um, and didn't want to let anybody in. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was very realistic. I mean, I could see that happening. I could see myself doing that when I was that age. No, I don't need anything. I'm fine. And then, like, regretting it an hour later, being like, why didn't I say yes? They would have helped me. (laughs) Now I have no place to go. But it's just scary. And and you're not thinking straight. And you're so far from home. And, you know. It's, it's to have to travel from a small town in Pennsylvania on the bus to the Port Authority and then find a clinic. I mean, that's not easy. Mm-hmm. And be alone and not know what questions to ask and not tell your parents where you were going. They lied about it. Um, it's a lot for, for young people, but for anyone, you know. Yeah, you were really young, too. Younger than me, younger than Sophia. And away from my comfort zone. I mean, I love Mexico, but I'd only been there literally five, six days. Yeah. And I felt sick from the day I landed, which I didn't know was pregnancy related at first, but I just didn't feel good. So it was hard to even want to make friends with anyone. That makes sense. So something interesting is that you didn't tell me and Sophia that you'd had an abortion until March 2020, the first week of lockdown, which I was pretty surprising considering that we talked about abortion so much, <laughs> but you just never shared that. And you didn't share the second abortion until months after that, when I happened, you forwarded me an email where you had mentioned it to someone else. I, really? I mean, it is, I know. I mean, it occurred to me at some point that I never, you know, I guess, you know, I just didn't revisit it a lot. And, um, you know, when you don't tell someone something at first, then it, you don't realize that maybe you would have said it, you know, it's just kind of like you were my kids, you were little (laughs) for a long time. And so it wouldn't have maybe come up you know, when you were little kids. And then at some point before I told you, it occurred to me that I never told you. (laughs) And so I just wanted to make a point of telling you better late than never. Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. I'm glad you told us. 
It was a really intense week, too. It was funny. I was like, I was having like a panic attack almost about whether to keep babysitting during COVID. Like I had been babysitting for the first week of the lockdown when everybody's schools had shut down and all these families wanted me to babysit. But I would come home every day just like totally panicked about whether it was safe. And that's what I called you about. Me and you and Sophia were on Zoom and I was like crying about whether I should babysit. And then you were like, I have a story to tell you. Um, so it was, yeah, I was really glad that you told us. It was very distracting from my stress. So that was good. I mean, I guess what, during the pandemic, you know, I was spending time alone and dealing with all the stress. Things just came up. And so I was realizing that why wouldn't I have told you this? Like, it wasn't ever a decision not to tell you. It was just that I realized I never did. And in the context of abortion, being always under attack, it just seemed really important that I just tell the story because otherwise it would seem like it was making a really bad decision to not tell you. Yeah, and I think, you know, if someone like as openly pro-abortion as you my whole life didn't tell me can you imagine how many people's moms have had abortions and not told them i can imagine i think it's a lot more than we think i think so too yeah so i was very glad to know um but i am guessing that on some level like when you were talking to us about abortion as little kids you did think it was like not appropriate to mention Right? When we were little. I, I don't... That's very, very possible. I don't remember it. I certainly didn't think it was appropriate to tell you the whole story because it's scary-seeming. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I don't know, really. I mean, I feel like I should have told you that I had some. <laughs> you don't have to... Yeah, there's no shoulds, but it's just interesting to me. I think I think even for people who are very comfortable with abortion and very positive about abortion, talking about abortion to children is still pretty taboo. I don't think a lot of people do that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess, like you're saying, it feels very associated with sex for a lot of people. I think a lot of people would just feel like they really have no idea how to broach that, especially in the specifics. So... And maybe also being afraid that a child might see it as like, oh, you would, you know, like, I don't think it's natural to think of abortion as killing a child. I just don't, I never thought that, but I think maybe somehow in some parents' imagination, they think that it might sound scary to a child Yeah, or to feel like, oh, I couldn't, maybe I wouldn't have been born. Or like I should have had a sibling. Like those would have been my siblings. That's, I mean, right. That's true. Even though they weren't babies, they weren't siblings yet. If they had been born, I mean, I might never have been born if they were born, but um, yeah, they would have been my siblings. Yeah. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking that we talked a lot about uh, many different ways that an abortion can happen. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Anecdotally and personally. Yeah. Yeah. Should we list them? Yeah, I mean, I have... Yes, before, before we do, I'm curious, like... I still... Yeah, I still have a lot of questions about... Uh, abortions induced by medication. And I'm curious, like, when that became... 
a possibility and when you don't know and you stumped the sex like was <laughs> that's a good trivia question yeah um susan did you like was that a an option for you at the time do you remember Nobody ever offered that. As far as I know, when I was in my 20s, no one I knew, everyone had abortions that were surgical right. or, med- you know, like either suction mm-hmm. or DNC. Um, there were some, like, I shouldn't say that. I mean, they didn't, doctors didn't offer it. So there were some, like, home remedies that some people believed would make you have a miscarriage mm-hmm. uh, that some people tried. Um, but in terms of doctors aborting, you know, medically somehow, there was no medically available abortion that anyone I knew knew about at that time or that I was aware of and that any doctor ever mentioned to me. That wasn't an option that was ever given to me. So I'm pretty sure that that became available, you know, certainly after that, mm-hmm. after not in the beginning of the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know when after that. Yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and thought, that's why I was asking, like, if you guys know what percentage of abortions now are medication-induced abortions, abortions, because I don't know what the consequences are and the experiences, but it seems much less invasive. And if you could be at home instead of, like, in some place... It just feels like so much better and easier, but I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what how how pregnant you are, how long you've been pregnant, whether you can do a medication abortion. They're most effective in the first trimester, and like the earlier, the better. So there becomes a time when that's no longer an option. But um, it does seem like a really good option for a lot of people. I think, I mean, sometimes you do have to go to the clinic to take the pill and it sometimes is like a two day procedure rather than a one day thing. Um, yeah. I mean, my first experience with it was having a coworker who I was really close with who became pregnant and knew that they had to get an abortion. I knew they went to the clinic and then they came back to work either later that day or the next day. And they were talking about it and they were like, I hope not later that day. They were like, I feel, you know, it feels like a really intense period and I have to take this other pill later or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's very cool. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. It's. What an option. No. I didn't know that. Yeah. I just didn't know it was an option until then. That was like only five, six years ago. Yeah. I think. I don't know the first time I learned that it was an. Well, I knew someone in college who had had an abortion that way through black market pills. Mm. Like, they got pregnant in high school and they found the pills they could find, not through a doctor. And it was a really hard experience because I think they were not the right, exact right dosages. Like, I think it was more intense. Um, But then I also saw a medication abortion portrayed on a wonderful show called My Mad Fat Diary, um, where somebody on the show gets pregnant as a teenager and takes her friend with her to the clinic and gets a medication abortion and you see them back at her house with a hot water bottle and that was cool to watch too it was still it was hard for her but yeah it does there's a lot of ways that it gives people more control so yeah there's medication abortion and then there's 
the other kinds of abortion would be dilating a cervix and emptying the contents of the uterus more manually, either with a curette to scrape the sides or with a vacuum to suck out the contents. And even after that, you would probably still scrape the sides of the curette um, to make sure that nothing got missed. Calling it surgery even is like a little bit misleading because there's no incisions. There's no, um, it's like the same amount of surgery as like getting an IUD is surgery. Right? It's dilating a, a cervix. That's it. It does involve removing contents from your body. Yeah, but not like contents that are part of your body. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like getting your stomach pumped if you eat exactly. something that's poisonous or something like it's that. It's just like that. No incision. They just kind of get it get out of there. Get it out of there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Reset and I, the factory settings. Exactly. And I, when I explained that to this student who asked how abortion worked, he was like, oh, what's everybody so mad about? He's like, that's not a baby they're taking out of there. And someone was like, what do you think? That they burned the babies? He was like, yeah, kind of. That's what they make it sound like. Like, yes, that is what I thought. They're just always saying abortion is getting rid of a baby. Like, he was like, those are cells. I was like, yeah, that's what I, I would agree with you. He was, it's just like, that's, you know, when you actually just break it down into its most true facts, I think, you know, there's always going to be people who believe that a, a baby starts from conception or whatever, from the first egg and sperm meeting. But I think a lot of people with that information would be able to understand much more clearly and without all of this moralizing, just like, oh, this is what's happening. I think that's like one of the most important things we can do um, to educate people about abortion is just literally tell them what it is, <laughs> what is happening. It's it's this. It's a period. It's inducing a period. Yeah. Right. I'm remembering right now another one of the misconceptions talked about was that if you had a miscarriage depending on when, yeah, it was at summer camp, that you would, like, wake up one day and there would be a baby in your underwear. Yeah. Yes, or, like, fetal parts. Right. I remember that big scandal where they were like, we have video evidence of Planned Parenthood throwing fetal parts in the trash. And that was, like, such a big... And, like, you know, with some miscarriages, there can be fetal parts. There can be a fetus. But most of the time... I mean, that's, like, much later in pregnancy, and even then, a fetus is different from a baby. But um, there can, yeah, people can have feelings about that, about seeing part of a fetus, but most of the time, that is not. And I think um, it's just beside the point, because people who oppose abortion at all times oppose it when there is no fetal parts. Right, right. So that's just like a scare tactic. Definitely. That's not really about what their feelings are really about. So I just find that, you know, when you, you can have a cyst removed that has fingernails and other Rebecca things in it. Hair. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just the way our bodies grow and that doesn't, have any, you know, why should that be treated differently from having another kind of cyst removed? Right. You know, I mean, it's just a, it's like a red herring, you know, it's like this false argument. Definitely. That um, when something happens in your body that you need, to, you decide that you need to get fixed or get rid of, 
Um, that right, like seems to me a mole or a spot before it becomes malignant. Right. I mean, I've been seeing a lot of people post this thing about like, you can't harvest someone's organs, even if it will save someone else's life, even after they're dead. Like you can't take organs from a dead body just because someone else needs them to live. Right. So why can you just force people to carry a pregnancy to term? That's ridiculous. You can't take a corpse's organs without their consent. I mean, the point is nobody else should be making a decision about somebody's body. Exactly. Period. Right. Uh, even if you think the fetus is a life, I'm saying, even if you think the embryo is a life, it's still yeah. inside the body of someone else. Right. And you can't make decisions for them about saving other people's lives at the expense of their body. Mm. Yeah. Right I now. was really, right. You can, you just shouldn't be able to. I was really influenced by a presentation um, that I saw in college by someone named Talcott Camp, a name always stuck with me, who worked for the ACLU Reproductive Rights Division. I don't know if that's what it's called. Um, and Talcott Camp explained that if you call yourself pro-life and you're concerned about all of these embryos and fetuses uh, supposedly being killed you still can't be anti-legal, safe, accessible abortion because the same number of abortions happen, whether it's legal or not. And it's just that more people die of them if it's illegal. So if you are pro-life, the same number of fetuses will be aborted, plus some other people will die. So if you're looking at numbers of lives lost, even if we count the fetuses, safe, legal abortion still saves lives. So, so it's just irrational. And there's other th If you are someone who hates abortion, there's other things you can do to allow people to have more bodily autonomy so that they don't find themselves needing abortion. I am not one of those people who cares how many abortions there are. But if you want to advocate for birth control and sex ed because you're really concerned about the number of abortions, like, I'm not mad about that. But you can't advocate against accessible abortion and call yourself pro-life. You just can't. That's a good argument. Yeah, thanks, Talcott Camp. I've used it a lot. I actually ended up being in a debate in college. I was invited by the Students for Life Club to debate some their president on abortion. <laughs> I can picture that perfectly. <laughs> you know, he was really nice. He was really nice. And we had this discussion, and I shared that, what I just said from Talcott Camp, and he was kind of like, oh, he was like, hey, that's interesting. <laughs> I was like, yeah, maybe sit with that for a little while. What about fighting capital punishment? I mean, or a million things. Like, yeah, how about fighting food insecurity right, and homelessness? And What about people's religious beliefs that refuse medical treatment for their kids? Yeah, that's another thing I've been seeing a lot is all the Jews I know are posting like, you know, actually Jewish law says you have to be able to get an abortion, which I think is fun to know as a Jew. But I also don't like that as an argument. Everyone's like, well, what about my religious? And I'm like, guys, let's not let's not go down that road because we don't actually think that's valid. Right. <laughs> like, 
Well, legally, it's good to have an, to include if they're going to raise First Amendment free exercise, religious freedom. But we that don't want that re- as a precedent, right? Well, but it is going to be addressed by the court. It's good for the court to know that it's not a monolithic thing. Religious freedom, if you're going to consider that, includes people who believe abortion is absolutely the right thing to do. Yeah. So. I think it's worth raising that. I mean, sometimes you have to respond to an argument in case the court reaches it on that. They're always on their terms. I don't like it. But I do like that Jews like abortion. That I'm happy about. I feel like we should answer the last question, which is, how would you answer this for a child? I Should I answer? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I would say to the child, an abortion works by a person who is pregnant or who is concerned they might be pregnant, getting a test, seeing if they're pregnant, and if they know they don't want to have a child, by uh, talking to a doctor or a health clinic about how to go about that and choosing from different options if those options are available and legal Um, which should include, you know, some kind of medicine or some kind of, you know, procedure where you can end a pregnancy. Um, That's how an abortion should work. And if that's not available, either trying to see if you can go to a place where it is available or going to a place like Planned Parenthood or Women's Center to get support to find a way to do it some other way. Um, so that nobody who, nobody has a child who doesn't want to have a child or doesn't feel ready to have a child for any reason. Um, that would be my answer. That sounds good. Yeah. Um, I might explain in a little more detail as he was saying, just what the procedure involves so that folks don't think you're throwing babies in the trash can. But yeah, I would, I would walk through the three more common and of getting it once you know, once a person knows that they're pregnant or that there's a pregnancy in their body, um, there are a few different ways that abortion really works. And it's important to, if you are in favor of abortion, continue to tell other people the realities of it and advocate for it. And maybe talk a little bit about how it's, um, it's always been, a contentious topic in the world and not always well as long as we've been alive Certainly. and they have been alive Certainly. so <laughs> yeah um yeah i think like addressing the reality of it and the confusion is important yeah yeah i would definitely give those details like i think what i said to the student is i had a picture of a uterus with me so i just like held up a picture of the uterus and said you know, a pregnancy is when a sperm and an egg join together in the uterus and start to divide from those two cells into four cells and then eight cells and then a clump of cells. And uh, you can end a pregnancy. Abortion is ending a pregnancy. And you can do that by either just having a tool, like scrape out the contents of the uterus, these cells, and get them out of there, or by taking a pill that makes the uterus contract and push it out itself. Uh, it comes out with some blood, kind of like a period. Um, and it's really, really safe. It's safer than giving birth. Like there's less risk to the body than there is from giving birth. Um, 
That's how it works. And sometimes, unfortunately, it's really, really hard to get because people make a lot of rules about who can get it and when and what you have to do to get it because they don't like abortion. And so it's not as easy as it should be to get one. Um, but there are a lot of people who raise money and um, resources to help people get them when they can't get them by themselves. So there are abortion funds and support networks that will drive people to their abortions and help them get hotel rooms and help them get um, their procedures paid for. So those are always resources I could help people get connected to. I might ask them, like, what do you think about that? Do you think that should be legal? <laughs> are the resources, the abortion funds, um, resources available, like, on the Internet if you Google it? Or yeah, how, how would you go about finding that? So I have a list of abortion funds that I will link in the description of this podcast episode um, that people can donate to or reach out to if they are in need of support. Um, but yeah, there are abortion funds in, I think, every state. Um, yeah, we have the Abortion Liberation Fund in Philly, the Abortion Liberation Fund of Pennsylvania. Um, which I think uh, is the oldest abortion fund in the country that still exists. Don't That's quote cool. me on that, but I think it's true. It is cool. We love the Abortion Liberation Fund. I learned so much when we worked with them last year on a few workshops on self-managed abortion care, and I'm really interested in learning more on self-managed abortion care. We haven't even talked about that. That, like birth, abortion most of, for most of eternity was not handled in the medical system because it is a natural process in the same way that birth was handled by family members and midwives so was abortion and there was a lot of community knowledge about how to do that yourself and with the care of your loved ones and just like home birth is now coming back and people are finding other ways to make birth a more natural and unmedicalized unpathologized process we can do the same thing with abortion which I find very powerful and exciting. Um, so that's something that I am about to dive into uh, some research on in the book that I want to read that I can also link in our um, description. That's called, here it is. It's called Natural Liberty, Rediscovering Self-Induced Abortion Methods. And it's created by the Sage Femme Collective in Las Vegas. And we love the Abortion Liberation Fund. It's <laughs> the... The long and the short. Any other thoughts that anybody has about abortion? My thought is just like, yeah, it's it's a terrible, our government's terrible. And also, like, our government is not what's going to keep us safe. Our government was never what was going to keep us safe. And we're going to keep ourselves and each other safe. That's what I think. I think we can figure this one out and provide each other the care that we need. So, that's how I I'm I hope feeling. so. I hope so, too. I hope so, too. I, but for people who, you know, feel comfortable in a medical setting, um, you know, talking to their doctor about getting a medical procedure done, um, I hope that we will continue to be able to do that and that doctors will continue to be able to guide and assist people. Yeah. Um, because they take an oath to do that. And I'm sure most medical people want to continue doing that. And it's what's right for patients who are 
making decisions about their bodies. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways a lot of people can contribute right now. Doctors and healthcare professionals and people who have money and people who have cars and people who have extra rooms in their house and, you know, yeah, could all work together. Yeah, it's scary, but the government has no authority over our bodies, in my opinion, so just try to stop us, you know? Have you had an abortion? No. Have you? No, I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> yes, is thinking about um, ways that we can do our part in um, changing the abortion landscape in this country. So stay tuned for that. Okay, that sounds good. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast, Mommy. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. It was really inspiring and enlightening. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for the work you guys do. Oh, thanks for the work that you did to raise me and also for <laughs> telling your abortion stories. Bye. Bye. What is Sex is brought to you by a generous grant from the Independence Public Media Foundation in Philadelphia. We are so grateful. We also want to thank all of our patrons who have been keeping us afloat. Special thanks to our sex ed sustainers, Jamie Price, Leonard Klein, Susan Abraham, Katie Gifford, and Molly Waggett. If you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash yes to consent and become a patron today. This podcast is hosted by me, Rebecca Klein, and Izzy Abraham Raveson, mixed by Mike Morangello, music by Austin Alfano, Artwork by Rebecca Klein and Jackie Soro. And a special thanks to the kids who asked the questions and inspired this podcast.